and welcome to Story Stalking, a division of Dead to Rights, the podcast video for the crime genre industry. I'm your host, Donna Carrick, and I want to remind you all that coming soon in the fall of 2020, we have a brand new Carrick Publishing Crime Anthology titled A Grave Diagnosis, um, which will feature 35 unique authors and 35 stories of murder and malaise. So watch for that to come out in late October of 2020. I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you all. And um, you can see the cover here. I'm happy to share it. It's designed by Sarah Carrick. And I thank her. She's also the model in this cover. And I also want to thank uh, Rosemary McCracken for the help with copy editing because um, my eyes alone could not catch everything. And it is a big book. So I really thank Rosemary for that. And today I'm going to read to you from one of our authors, uh, Melody Campbell. And Melody has given us Death of a Cheapskate, which is a wonderful crime story, which was featured in In the Key of Thirteen by the Maydams of Mayhem, Carrick Publishing, 2019. So please look for that. I think you'll enjoy it. It's titled Death of a Cheapskate. And here we go. Dad died years ago, but I remember it clearly. Looking back, it seems remarkable that no one but me realized it was murder. The phone call from my sister came at night. He's dead, Elaine said. Finally. There was an awkward pause. You're supposed to be upset when someone dies. It's hard to know how to behave when you're not. Are you coming? My sister asked. Tomorrow morning. Do you know what finally did it? To him is what I meant. Those were the unspoken words, because he was a tough old bugger, and it seemed impossible that anything could kill him, not even the diabetes that had haunted him for a decade. The doctor said sepsis, my sister answered, a massive staph infection like he had before. Tell you more when you're here. I have a shitload of organizing to do. Mom is, well, you know mom. Yes, I knew. Words like helpless and incompetent came to mind. She would be in a state waiting for someone else to take over, as dad had always done, had always insisted on doing. We all knew what mom was like. It was a three-hour journey by car to my hometown, but I didn't mind. It was early May and the day was gorgeous, like one of those perfect pictures a child will draw, with the sun in the sky surrounded by fluffy clouds. I spent the time listening to Elvis on the oldies radio station, thinking about my early years. Does anyone have a happy childhood? I suppose mine could have been a lot worse. There was always food on the table and a fairly warm place to sleep. But being thrifty can become like a religion to some people. Our dad was one who worshipped at that altar. Mom was sweet, but completely under his thumb. There is a coldness that comes with enforced austerity that I'm not sure I can explain. It wasn't as if our dad was less successful than other fathers on our street. But they were the spendthrift families, 
we were, in some twisted way, more noble than our neighbors. We never had family vacations. Elaine might have gotten new clothes, but I always wore her hand-me-downs. It wasn't until I could work part-time to earn my own money that I ever had anything new. Not surprisingly, we all left home as soon as we could. Dad didn't mind. Less mouths to feed, I heard him say once. Fewer, I remember, mumbling to myself. By the time I got to the yellow brick bungalow, Elvis had gone through his entire repertoire and the sun had made most of its journey across the sky from east to west. My brother John was waiting for me, leaning against the side of the house and smoking a cigarette. I got out of my car and slammed the door shut. Those things will kill you, I said. It was my standard greeting. He gave the standard response, better that than the clap. Good to see you, Mandy, he said as we both grinned and hugged each other. You too, I pushed back from his embrace. Did Jill come? He shook his head. Someone had to stay home with the twins. She won the toss. That was too bad. I liked Jill. Thanks for looking after the kids when we were at that convention last summer, by the way. You know I loved doing it, I said. Jill really appreciates it, too. That made me happy. John puffed on his cigarette, and I leaned back beside him against the brick wall. It was a comfortable moment, being outside the house. It wouldn't be so comfortable inside it. Still bossing those third graders around, John asked. That's me, Miss Bossy Pants. They're counting the weeks until school ends. He laughed easily. A cloud drifted over the sun, and I felt a chill. Elaine inside, I asked. She's at the funeral home with Mom. I just got here. I raised an eyebrow. She didn't wait for you? Nope. Left a note on the kitchen table. I was relieved. I didn't have to go with them to pick out the coffin. Elaine was much better at that sort of thing. Elaine was much better at most things, just not actual work. Funeral is in two days, John said. I watched him pull on the cigarette. He looked relaxed and healthy in spite of the smoking. The navy golf shirt suited his felt physique, and he still had a full head of light brown hair. Mine was a mousy color. Aline dyed hers blonde, of course, or rather some salon did it every three weeks. I was secretly envious. You look good, John said. I like that top thingy you're wearing. That made me smile. I liked it too. The sapphire blue tunic swished as I walked and suited me now that I had lost a little weight. But mainly, I was smiling because John hadn't changed. He had always been good to me, his little sis. It wasn't until after he left home that I realized how good. The sun left our house that day, leaving me in the shadows. We didn't have to wait long for them to return. The visitation is tomorrow night. Funeral is Thursday at one, Elaine announced, throwing her purse on the floor of the tiny foyer. Mum trailed in after her, wearing a new gray skirt with matching jacket. 
She picked up Elaine's purse and placed it on the hall chair. She looked better than I had seen her look in a long time. Her salt and pepper hair had been recently cut and styled. Her face seemed tired, of course, but rather serene. I gave her a big hug and then a kiss on the cheek. It was soft, smelling of loose powder. That's a nice outfit, I said to her. Thank you, dear. Elaine made me buy it yesterday, Mum said, for the visitation. I'll wear black to the funeral, of course. Elaine herself was wearing separates in shades of butterscotch and caramel, clearly designer. It all coordinated perfectly with her ash blonde hair. The divorce settlement last year had not been stingy. What's for dinner? Elaine threw herself into the only easy chair in the living room. I took a hard chair by the picture window. I have some leftovers I was saving for when your dad came home from the hospital, Mom said. I watched her carefully remove her new jacket and prepare to hang it up in the hall closet. Elaine groaned. No way, I'm not eating old leftovers. Let's go out. Oh no, Mom's hazel eyes flashed an alarm. I wouldn't feel right going out for dinner before the funeral. Oh, for Christ's sake, muttered Elaine. She kicked off her pumps. She's right, Elaine, said John. It wouldn't look good. Who cares, said Elaine. You forget, some of the people in this town are still clients of mine. I manage their investments, said John. But there's no reason we couldn't order in. How does everyone feel about Chinese? My treat. That would be nice, Mom said. Would you mind ordering, John? I don't, I, I'm, I'm not at my best today. I feel a bit weary. Of course you do, said John kindly. Go lie down for a bit. I'll call you when the food is here. I waited until Mom left the room to ask the question that had been bothering me. Elaine, what were you going to tell me about how Dad died? She continued to examine her long red nails. What do you mean? I told you on the phone. But you said you would explain more when I got here, I said. Oh, well, it was just something that the nurse said to me about the sepsis. We can't understand why it keeps coming back, she said. They seemed baffled. I guess we'll never know, said John. By 10 o'clock, Mom had gone to bed. The three of us sat around the old wooden table in the kitchen in our childhood places. I remembered when Dad had last refinished that table. I couldn't have been more than seven at the time. It looked pretty dilapidated now these many years later. The kitchen hadn't fared much better. The white painted cabinets had faded dismally. No longer could you pick out the sparkles that used to delight me in the original laminate countertop. They were dull now, discolored, as was the vinyl floor that refused to shine. No matter how much Mom tried, it was like viewing a room through soap scum. Good thing I was there today, Elaine lit a cigarette with Dad's butane lighter. Old Pike would have talked her into a ridiculously expensive mahogany coffin. I told him no way, not for our Dad. He would turn over in his grave. We ended up with Oak. But Mom would have caved for sure if I hadn't been there. John leaned back in the rickety chair, 
You know mom, no backbone at all. It's a miracle she can even stand upright. He chuckled at his own joke. That's not fair, I said, quick to defend her. He wasn't easy to live with. You know that. John smiled indulgently at me. You're right, of course. Can you imagine having to nurse him like she did for the last year, waiting on him hand and foot as he bossed her around all day long? Frankly, I'm surprised she didn't bop him on the head. I would have in her shoes. Good thing you weren't in her shoes then, Elaine said. Her ancient shoes, John frowned. How many times have they been resold? I've never met anyone as cheap as him in my whole life. Remember the time we were re-roofing the shed and he saved all the old nails to reuse them? Nails are a couple of dollars a box, for Christ's sake. He spent the whole winter in the basement straightening them, said Elaine. She took a drag from her cigarette. I remember. I could top anyone's cheap stories at work, John said, reaching for her pack. Which reminds me, did you know Mom wants to go on a cruise? What? I looked over in disbelief. Mom only left town to see John's kids, and then only once a year. Elaine groaned. John laughed. Yeah, surprised the hell out of me. She asked me about it over the phone last night. You know that med cruise Jill and I took last year? She's going to look into it. John snapped open the lid of the old lighter and lit the end of his cigarette. Well, that explains the passport, said Elaine. Passport? I asked. I saw it in her purse when we were shopping. But a cruise like that? Aren't they really expensive? I was baffled. Mom never spent a cent on herself. Even now she made most of her own clothes to save money. John shrugged. Go for it, I said to her. The old man has a pile tucked away, almost a million bucks. That got Elaine's attention. Are you kidding me? How do you know? She leaned forward, eyes wide. She told me last night on the phone. I shook my head. That's unbelievable. How could they have that much money? John waved the cigarette through the air. Look around here, he said. This place is a pile of crap. He wouldn't spend any money, is the problem. One of those guys who loved money for its own sake, not for what it could buy you. I've known a few in my time at the bank. There was ample truth to that. The house hadn't been renovated since my parents bought it 50 years earlier. At least he didn't hit her, Elaine said, or at least I don't think he did. My eyes shot up in surprise. John put his cigarette down on the glass ashtray. Nah, he didn't have to hit her. He just belittled her, so she didn't think she could do anything right. The phone rang then. It was some man wanting Elaine. She pulled the coiled cord of the receiver around the corner into the hall for more privacy. One thing niggled at me. John would know. Doesn't it take a few weeks to get a passport, I asked. He gave me a thoughtful look. Yes. Elaine's provocative laugh drifted into the room. I seized the opportunity to claim the solitary bathroom first to prepare for bed. It had been a long day. I wasn't alone with Mom until late the next morning. 
She was wearing another new outfit I hadn't seen before. Brown slacks with a cream embroidered top. Probably another Elaine choice, but it suited her. I hadn't realized until now that she still had a pretty good figure. It's good of you to help me with this, Mandy, said Mom. The others, well, you know. I certainly did know. Elaine wouldn't be caught dead anywhere there was actual work to be done, and John had made an excuse to go visit an old friend. Little Mandy would help Mom, as usual. The old family history played itself out yet another time. But I was glad to see Mom had more energy today. What can I do? I asked. Get me some bags for charity, she said. I want to clean out these drawers. I dutifully went down the hall to the kitchen and out the door to the garage. An open package of the cheapest green garbage bags sat on a dusty shelf. I grabbed a few. It was appropriate. Most of Dad's clothes would be garbage. I smiled at my own private joke. Mom was standing in the kitchen when I returned. She had a small box in her hand. Here are some unused insulin needles. What should I do with them? She asked. Give them to me, I said, determined to be helpful. I'll dispose of them. Poor Mom, she shouldn't have to worry about things like that. She stood staring down at the box, hesitating as usual. Can't they be used by someone? Your father wouldn't like them to be thrown out. No, he wouldn't. I could practically hear him yelling all the way from purgatory. Let me take them, I said. She put the box down on the kitchen table. There's one used needle in there. I guess no one would want it, even though it's only been used once. I was only half listening. This room was so full of uncomfortable memories that they seemed to crowd out new thoughts. What do you mean used only once? I said absently. Your dad didn't believe in using things only once. I could feel her eyes on me. It seemed important that I give this my full attention. What do you mean, Mom? She turned away abruptly, grabbed a dish towel from the holder, and busied herself at the kitchen sink. You know how your dad was, Mandy. He didn't like to throw things out that were still good. He had you reuse his insulin needles? My voice was hoarse. She stopped moving until they weren't sharp anymore. Sometimes we could get four or five uses out of them. He was very proud of that. I think the earth must have stopped spinning in that moment. I placed a hand on the counter to steady myself. Recurring sepsis. The doctors and nurses baffled. We can't understand why it keeps coming back. The passport ordered weeks ago. Did she know? Now she was humming. I'd never heard her hum before in my life. What was that song? I'd heard it earlier the other day in the car. Elvis sang it. I could hear his voice clearly in my own mind now, singing each word as she hummed the tune. Release me. The end. And that has been Death of a Cheapskate by Melody Campbell. And Melody, uh, for Melody, this is a very serious story. Fans of Melody Campbell will know that most of her stories involve both murder and humor. So um, look for Melody Campbell's work. I absolutely love this story. And I told Melody when she uh, submitted it for In the Key of 13, 
I think it's quite brilliant. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did bringing it to you. And I want to thank Melody for this wonderful story and thank you all for joining us today on Story Stalking, a division of Dead to Rights, which again is the podcast video for the crime genre industry. And watch for our new anthology to come out in October titled A Grave Diagnosis. And our thanks, as always, go to Ted Carrick for the wonderful theme song, Eyes of Gold, which we use at the beginning and end of every one of our podcast videos. So thank you all for joining us. See you next week.